Can we say hallelujah? hallelujah. Come on, church, let's say hallelujah. hallelujah. It's good to praise our king. You know, this morning, I was sitting in the kitchen, and I was just thinking about praise. And an old song we used to sing, which maybe we'll sing next week, you know, came to my mind, and I just started to declare the words. And I just want to read the first part of this song. And you guys probably all know this song. You know the song, Trading My Sorrows? This comes out of Isaiah 63.3, right? And the beginning of the song says, I'm trading my sorrow. I'm trading my shame. I'm laying it down for the joy of the Lord. I'm trading my sickness. I'm trading my pain. I'm laying it down for the joy of the Lord. So this morning, it doesn't matter how we came in here. It's how we're, we're going to leave. And so we have an opportunity to lay some things down this morning. You know, let me just read this Isaiah 61, 3, sorry, and it says, And provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. This morning, can we lay down all the pain, all the frustrations? Can we trade it in? Someone's saying yes right here for a garment of praise. Garment of praise. When the joy of the Lord begins to fall upon us, things begin to change. Amen. Well, I'm excited for today. Um, we got Jim Donotter coming to speak. Jim is a teacher in our house, and uh, I just want to honor Jim and Gaylene. They have been at Community Church for how long now? 36 years. That's amazing. And these guys spent the first how many years working in kids' church and working with our kids and blessing our kids and teaching our kids? Eleven and a half. Eleven and a half years. I mean, if you want to see servanthood and faithfulness, this is a couple who has modeled that to me throughout the years. Today they serve on our elder board, and Jim is an amazing teaching. I know many of you have heard him teach before, and so we're just honored to receive you as a teacher today to bring the word of God, and so we just bless you as you deliver the words of Jesus to us. Amen? I have to tell you that uh, when you're a teacher, there's nothing uh, more, I, I don't know, affirming than seeing maturity, seeing, seeing people coming into maturity. Uh, it's an amazing thing. And in fact, we're going we're gonna to be uh, looking at the Word of God today, uh, one of Paul's letters to the Philippians. We're going to be doing uh, Philippians chapter 2, Nikki, in the NLT, right? And, uh, and I think actually what we're going to do is we're just going to read through it first, and I'm going to try to actually get through it without stopping at every, you know, phrase and, and, and explaining it. And then we're going to come back and we're going to do that a little bit. So, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would 
minister to our hearts, our spirits, and then our minds with your word, that it would get into our hearts and become part of who we are in you. Okay, so Philippians chapter 2. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? These are rhetorical questions. <laughs> are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation obeying God with deep reverence and fear for God is working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then, on the day of Christ's return, I'll be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless but I'll rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Mm. See how, Paul, how, how proud Paul was of them, right? He's, he's kind of being proud papa there. So Pastor Mark has sort of a life message, right, about building the kingdom, You've, you've heard him preach on that once or twice, maybe? Um, and it starts, of course, through building mature believers, right? That's, that's the mechanism. And then he often suggests to me after a service that, you know, you could expand on that with some teaching. <laughs> and, and I think, yeah, you get to do the exciting exhortation part and get everybody, you know, excited. And Cam does that too, you know. And then I'll, I'll come and I'll... Teach. Actually, you know what? Teaching is really important. And, uh, and, and it's really important that we have some context for things and that we have practical understanding so that we're not just going from, you know, sort of item to item to item, from crisis to crisis in our lives, you know, looking for what's that one word for this one thing at this one time, instead having a, a broad foundation in his word. It's critical, actually. So let me start just by saying that what I'm going to talk about today is 100% in support of the things that Pastor Mark teaches, and we'll see it clearly in this passage. But I also want to remind you that for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch, one on each side, 
right? And so what we don't want to do is we don't want to grab something that's true and then suddenly think it's the only thing that's true or, frankly, you know, just bend it all out of shape and say anybody else who doesn't have that truth is, you know, not worth it. Um, those are the ditches around truth. Now, that said, I, I got I to gotta say, we got to be not so worried about falling into the ditch that we don't move on the road. You know, I just won't drive. I'll just stand here right steady so I don't fall in the ditch. Well, you might as well be in the ditch because you're not going anywhere. Right? So we want to make progress. We want to grab these truths. We want to build them into our hearts. We want to understand them. And we want to operate in them. Um, just... Just we want to be careful where the sides are and stay as close to the middle as we can. So, when we are exhorting you to grow, right? We want spiritual maturity. We want that growth. That's why I'm proud of all the kids' church kids, right? Like, you know, I mean, I, I watch that, the growth and the, and the maturity, and it, and it does something. It warms our hearts. So, we want to see that growth, but one of the natural things we do around growth. How many of you have a, a wall in your house that where, or a door frame where the kids stand and you measure them and you put the little tick marks and a date, you know, which child, which, which date, you know, yes, you've got that, uh, that mark. And so what are we doing? We're measuring. And we're, we're, we're measuring something because we actually understand how to measure that thing. Does that make sense? Like we, we know how to measure it. So because we know how to measure it, we do. But you in your own home, for example, probably don't know how to measure the oxygen content of the air in your home. Or, you know, you, we, we don't necessarily know how to measure everything. And I, I'll tell you, measuring's great, even in our own lives, as a gauge to understand where our own hearts are, to sort of measure our hearts against the word of God and to say, wow, man, I could be like that? That's amazing. I could be like that. And by the way, it's never, oh, I'm not like that. That's never what the word of God is for. Uh, the, the law will show you where you're bent. There's no doubt. The word of God will show us how far, how far we fall short. That's fine. But that's not the intent. The intent is to look at it as a picture and say, whoa, I could be there. I could be like that. That's a thing God could change my heart. He could change how I process. He could change how I think. I could be like that. So we want to measure, but here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to compare. Okay? And this, this is... Uh, really critical because comparison immediately and always leads to competition or it leads to superior superiority or inferiority feelings um, and there's there's no value in it let's start from the top of our passage this morning so is there any encouragement from belonging to christ Clearly, this is a rhetorical question. This is a Jewish thing they did. They asked the question where the answer is utterly obvious. You're not supposed to have to think about this. He's really actually making a very strong statement. There's a lot of encouragement in belonging to Christ. 
And I'm telling you right now, there is a ton of encouragement in belonging to Christ. And, and you know, we've had folks actually suggest that because on a Sunday morning here, we're always exhorting you to grow, whatever, that it's like, well, we're never... You know, we never get a pat on the back and, and, and told that we're, we're doing well. It's always this next thing, always this next. It's exhausting to come to church. Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> um, here's the deal. It shouldn't be exhausting, and we don't mean it to be exhausting. We're imperfect, though. And so when we present, sometimes that might come, it might come that way, but it's not ever intended. It's intended to be encouragement. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love. There's huge comfort in his love. We're singing about it today. Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. This is back to that unity thing, right? Like we've got to be of one mind. We've, we've got to be people who can agree together. And we can agree, you know what? We may not agree together on our favorite foods. That's okay. You know, we may not agree together on, you know, style. We might not even agree together on some things around, you know, how loud it is in here or how, you know, whatever. There's, there's lots of things that are not necessarily 100%, you know, we're going to be all on the same page. But can we agree together in love that we love each other, that we're serving the same Christ? Because that's critical. There's another passage that says they will know we are Christians because of our love for one another. And you know, there's a good part of the world that doesn't really, isn't really attracted to Jesus because they've seen all these people who use his name, Christian, Christian, fighting with one another. It's not very attractive. People loving each other. Now that's attractive. That's very cool. And then here's the, here's the critical piece on the, on the uh, comparison bit, right? It says, don't be selfish and don't try to impress others. <laughs> be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And don't look out for your own interests or only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So the, here's, here's the thing. True humility doesn't actually measure itself against others. True humility doesn't measure itself at all. <laughs> I mean, the second you start measuring how humble you are, right? Like, where does that go? <laughs> should, I tell, should I tell her story? I wasn't going to. Oh, no. Okay, here it goes. Some of you have heard this story. Some of you have not. Galen's hiding already. Um, and it's, now, I have to be careful telling this story because it's kind of a story that, that has a pat on the back for me in it, okay? Sort of. But it's, it's fun anyway. So, years ago, I was involved in a, in a project. Uh, we, we built something really quite innovative in, in the software world. And uh, we were honored with a, an, an award. And uh, I, was, I was invited to come to Washington, D.C. to the Smithsonian and to receive this award. And it was, uh, you know, it was kind of a big deal. It was this big black tie dinner with the Smithsonian Institution. And they were, they were uh, actually inducting our piece of software into their permanent archive of innovation and blah, blah, blah. So this is kind of cool, right? And I was feeling pretty good about it. And then uh, we'd actually built this piece of software for a customer. And the customer had paid us to do it. And the customer 
decided and, and, and basically told us point blank, no, 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 you cannot be receiving an award for our software. And I went, what? And something in me just, like, I, I was just, it's like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, uh, yeah, you paid, but I mean, we thought of it, you know? It was, it was our innovation, we did the work, and we were nominated, and you know, it's my name on the thing, and so I'm driving home from work after having had sort of this conversation. I, I, I'd actually presented this to the client as a, hey, isn't this cool? And they <clears throat> kind of peed on my parade. Anyway, and uh, you know, I say that in church, what, no? And, so anyway, I, uh, I'm driving home, and the Spirit of the Lord says to me, why does this matter so much to you? And I thought, yeah, why does this matter so much to me? What, what's the win in this? And, hmm. So by the time I got home, and I had, I had called Gaylene and I told her about this already and, and whatever. So by the time I got home, I was actually satisfied in my spirit that what I was going to do is, is actually call the nominating committee and get them to change the name to the client's name and, and, and actually let, let the client go. And, and they did. And they went and received this award and whatever. I, and, um, and so I got home and I, I told Gaylene about what had happened and I told her about, you know, sort of the, the Holy Spirit really convicting me in the car on the way home on this thing and uh <clears throat> and so then a couple weeks later uh we were homeschooling at the time and the and curtis and amanda were eh, quite little i think probably maybe 10 and 8 something like that and gaylene shows up at my office at lunchtime with the kids says i want to take you for lunch and this had never happened before and so i i went for lunch uh with my family and Gaylene said, you know, we're, we're whatever, they were studying in homeschool, right? And, and whatever she said. And I, I used this as an example for the kids. And, and we went and we got this made for you and we want to give you this gift. And I opened it up and it was a little medal for humility. <laughs> <laughs> and I began to laugh. I said where am I going to wear it? <laughs> where am I going to put it? <laughs> I, can't, I can't have a medal for you. Yes, this is my humility medal. <laughs> um, so she wanted to make an object lesson for the kids. And anyway, it's very fun. So, I mean, the reality is you can't brag about your humility. By the way, the guy who was the most humble guy alive in the earth at a certain period of time was a guy named Moses, and we know that because he told us. <laughs> and he was humble enough that he could state it as a simple fact, because it was, in fact, a simple fact, and there was no pride in it. It was just a fact. He could say, well, I'm the, I'm the most humble man on earth, because God told him that that was the truth. So now he was just stating a truth. Wow. What? Really? Really? I am? I'm the most? Well, you were. <laughs> ah. Oops. Ah. So close. Okay. So the very fact of trying to measure even our spiritual maturity in other areas, where am I as an intercessor? 
Where am I as someone who can hear from the Lord and speak that? You know, am I an intercessor like, uh-oh. Oh, boy. There we go. We'll see what the Bible calls that in a few minutes here. So we're, we're not trying to outdo other people. That, that builds pride. We're not even trying to compare and say, ooh, you know, I mean, Casey, I mean, he's, he's sort of up here, but I'm, I'm like two-thirds of the way to Casey. Wow. No, we're, we're, we're not. Um, we'll find that that's actually called idolatry in a few minutes, so. And I'll give you something else. Here, here's an interesting one in a church, because we're family here together. And we're to operate like that. But families have this, you know, that's not fair. They got to do it last time and, you know, whatever, that, that kind of thing, right? Uh, that that kind of happens in families a fair bit. Those of you who have larger families have seen more of it even because, you know, it, it works that way. So we've got to be careful. Do you know what the truest test of if you have a servant heart is? If you respond like a servant when you're treated like one. Ooh. Really? Yeah. When you're just kind of, when nobody says thank you, nobody even noticed. Do you know if you have a real servant heart? You won't notice that. You won't. If you're noticing it, then first of all, I'm sorry, because we need to be good at encouraging each other and thanking each other and, and noticing, you know, what, what each one brings. But, <laughs> that's one side. The other side is, you should be surprised when somebody does thank you. Let's go to Luke 17, verse 7. I'll give Nikki a second or two. Okay, Mark mentioned this, I think, last week. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No. He says, Prepare my meal, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. Did you catch that? Of course not. Um, I, I need you to know that these words in my Bible are in red. That means Jesus said them, just so we're clear on the context here. Okay. He says, does the master thank him? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we're unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. So this is one, and, and I will say this, as I said, we don't want to measure to an exact standard, and we don't want to compare, but we do have gauges, right? In, in our own hearts, in our own, in our own lives, we have gauges. So this is one. You know, we can use our own response to being overlooked or underappreciated or underthanked as a gauge of our humility, right? Um, and interesting, uh, the, more, the more that humility has become part of who you are, the less you'll find yourself trying to figure out whether you're humble or not. Because it just won't be the thing you're thinking about. Galatians 6, verses 4 and 5, <clears throat> says, Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we're each responsible for our own con conduct. 
And then verse 6, which says, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing, oh, that's not really part of today's message, but, um, you know, that could definitely be a, that'd preach, that'd preach, anyway, uh, so we'll just go back, we won't, we won't actually go to verse 6, um, but if you ever wonder if a paid clergy is scriptural, it actually is, just so you know, anyway, um, so clearly we can engage in some self-examination, that's fine, but it's never about measuring against someone else. And then, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we're as wonderful. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, and they'd had some other people come in and start, you know, telling them that we're apostles and whatever, and you all need to be circumcised or you're going to hell. Okay? This is sort of the, the thing that's going on. And they did say Jesus is, is, is the Christ, and he died for our sins and whatever, and you need to be circumcised. <laughs> you need to become a Jew and, and no pork. Just don't be doing that. And he said, well, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we're as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. But they're only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. Now, this would be like watching two two-year-olds arguing over, you know, which of them is, is faster because... You know, I can run faster than you can run, so therefore I'm something and you're not, and they're two. Right? I mean, it's ridiculous. There's, there's just no... By the way, to the two two-year-olds, maybe it matters. But the reality is it's a goofy comparison with no actual value. If we understood, if we understood the majesty of God... If we understood a God who could speak the universe into being with a word, who actively holds every atom together or it would fly apart right now, every atom in the entire universe he's well aware of, each and every one. He can listen to every one of us all at the same time with our praise or our requests. And none of it stresses him out, and none of it takes any real effort whatsoever, because he's that amazing, huge, sovereign. So we're going to boast about what we've achieved? Seriously? Like, it's ridiculous. It'd be like two sheets of paper arguing about which is thicker. You know what I mean? Like, it, there's just nothing there. There's <laughs> so don't compare yourself with other people, particularly those who boast about their own accomplishments. That's what the verse said. And I got to tell you, if we judge others as below our level, we're doing the same thing. We're comparing just as much as if we judge others as ahead of us. Like, Either, either form of comparison, two ditches. 1 Samuel 16, 17 shows, tells us a little something about why this is so ridiculous anyway. So 1 Samuel 16, 7, sorry, says, uh, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. Right? People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So here's, here's a really interesting thing. 
The only kind of evaluation that matters whatsoever is the evaluation the Holy Spirit makes you aware of in your own heart for your own growth, for your own direction. And God actually evaluates by what's in your heart, your character, who you are, your real intent. We actually often end up, if we get angry at someone, it's usually not because of what they did, but because of our judgment of why they did it, right? We, we, we judge actually mostly based on our belief in someone's motive. Well, it's ridiculous. You don't know what anybody else's motive was. Most of the time, you don't know what your own motives are. You stop and you think, why did I do that, really? And you actually have to think about it. You have to work it through for a while. <clears throat> the exact same thing could happen for totally different reasons than what you're assuming. And so, judging ourselves as well, <clears throat> or, or judging others, sorry, by what we think they meant, well, she just doesn't like me. How do you know that? Well, she never talks to me. O okay. Um, have you talked to her? <laughs> Maybe she's shy. <laughs> you know. Anyway, and my favorite person in the entire world. I'm just reminded of um, this was me. This was you know he's he's just talking all about me and in in the sense of of these are the things that you really need to work on. But um, uh, I remember early on in our marriage, I would always assume a motive on people, and you know and and so Jim, I just want to give this to you as something that you can do as an exercise. He would he would come up with two or three or four different possibilities of motivations. And he says, if I could come up with these, do you think maybe they could have a different motivation than what you're thinking? And so it, it was a really good tactic. It was a really good help for me. So I just kind of wanted to share it. Yep, good. No, that is, that is actually an excellent, very practical thing. Come up with a, a thought about how this could actually make sense. Like, so, you know, you've got the situation, somebody has, um, I, I don't know, uh, backed into your car and then left. And you would think, what a jerk. By the way, I, I would think the same thing <laughs> initially. But could you imagine a situation that would make that person not actually have been a jerk? You could imagine a situation where they didn't know. They thought they hit a rock on the road. They didn't, or they're taking somebody to the hospital and they're in a panic and they backed out and they, 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 they have to, like, you could come up with three or four or five concepts which would make them not a complete jerk, right? Do you know that one of them might be true? The first thing you think of isn't always the one that, that's actually relevant. So again, um, I just, I, I think, you know, here's another one. Uh, I have a story on, are, are Mark and Anita here? Anita, can I, can I tell a story that, that I, I realized about your motivational gifting? Okay. So, 
for quite a few years, so Gaming uh, was homeschooling and then doing the books for the church and, and a, a few other companies as well. And so, Gail, uh, so Anita would come and uh, help clean the house. And uh, this went on for a number of years and it was, it was uh, wonderful and, and it's, it's great to have a house cleaner who comes and prays over your house as they're cleaning and, and things like that. That's amazing. Um, and then we moved into a new phase of life. The kids left the house and whatever. And uh, Anita said to Gaylene, okay, well, this time is done. And I'm, you know, I'm going to, you know, you can, you can, you can find someone else or you can, you know, pick it up or whatever, uh, but we're done. And Gaylene thought, wow. And so I'm, I'm looking at this and, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, Anita is such a server. She's just such a server. She just always sees the needs, moves right in, takes care of things. It's amazing. She's such a server. Then we went through a motivational gifting thing, and we chatted together, and we realized, Anita's motivational gift isn't serving. It's investing, giving. It's the giver motivation. She was investing in our family, and at the point at which she felt that, okay, that investment now, you guys are, you are in a different phase in life, and my investment will bring more fruit elsewhere than it would bring here, and so, I, all these years thought, server, server, server. No, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing in any way. It's amazing. But I realized afterwards, I didn't understand the motivations of her heart in the service that she does. She's actually investing in things for a future gain in that thing for the kingdom. And I thought, that's amazing. Uh, but you see, even on those things, we can measure so wrong because we can see the activity and actually miss the point, Right? Thanks, Anita. Recently, yes, I was talking to someone in regards to comparison, and they generally felt that they were feeling short of what other people, or they were falling short of what other people were doing, right? This one over there, they counsel people. I'm not counseling people. This one's a teacher, and I'm not really even teaching. Oh, that one makes meals for the community. I'm, I'm not really doing that. Well, this one has a gift of hospitality. I don't feel like I have that gift. This one, you know, on and on. We can do that. And in the midst of this, I kind of had a revelation. <laughs> so I asked, well, is the Holy Spirit convicting you that you need to do those things? Do you have the grace to do those things? Right? Wait a minute. So verse 12 and 13 of our passage today, so back in Philippians 2, says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard. Hey, work hard not to be saved. Work hard to do what? Show the results. It's a proof. It's not, it's not an input. It's an output, right? So work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. And this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. For God is working in you, giving you the what? And the? The desire and power to do what pleases him. That's the definition of grace. God's grace is the desire and power to do his will, to do what pleases him. If you don't have it, if you don't have either the desire or the ability, then he's not asking you to do it. It's that simple. He gives the desire and power to do. Oh, man, 
So what really happens is we don't really want to do that thing. We just want to be seen to be as important as the person doing that thing. Ah, ah, it's that comparison thing again. So I can tell you right now, if, it, if you don't have the desire or power to do something, it's not from God. That's just envy. Bible has another word for envy that we, we kind of know from the Ten Commandments, right? Covetousness. We don't really use that word much, but... So it's Colossians 3, verse 5. And it says, therefore put, to, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Some, some, uh, some uh, versions call the, the covetousness word their greed, but um, do you realize that that's idolatry? And what does God say about idolatry? Well, we, that's a whole other sermon, I guess. You know, but we, we know, essentially, he doesn't want us to have any other gods. It's a fundamental part of comparison, though. Let's go back to the middle of our passage, because it's great. Isn't it great to just be able to read? Sometimes, sometimes if the teacher would just shut up and just read, that'd be great too, right? Um, I mean, the word of God actually stands on its own. It really does. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That's verse 5. Verse 6, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He was God, and he didn't think he had to hold on to that. What? Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. How humiliating. He limited himself. So we just talked about the God who created the universe with a word. And now he agrees to limit himself to be in this mud body. Yikes. You want to talk about humility? I don't want to have to wash the dishes. It's beneath me. I'm an elder here. I shouldn't have to wash dishes. <laughs> God humbled himself and became a human. <laughs> wow. And was born as a human being where when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Okay, I can wash the dishes. Um, Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Man. Amen. We, uh, in our own lives, we often end up wanting, we, 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 we judge ourselves by the intended outcome of things, right? Like I, I, I tried something and it didn't work. It fell flat on its face. That wasn't good because the outcome wasn't the outcome that I expected. Do you know that God's not actually all that interested in outcomes? God, God, God can do whatever he wants. Do you know that the God who made the universe with a word could unmake the universe with a word? Do you know that? Does that make sense? It's pretty obvious, actually, right? So, you know, all of this stuff that we go through, 
Um, and, and the things we're trying to build and the things we're trying to do and the disappointments that we get when something doesn't quite work and whatever all else, that's us. That's not really God. God is way less concerned about the outcome of things, I believe, than he is about our obedience. And did you know that God can call you in obedience to do something that fails from a natural point of view? But that doesn't mean it failed from his point of view because if he's built something in your heart through that that he needed to build in your heart that you needed, I said he needed. Mark and I always fight on this, on this one item. Mark uses the terminology, God needs, God needs you to whatever. And I always say, God doesn't need you to anything. And he said, well, it's a way of speaking. And anyway, so, um, and he's right. And I honor him in it. So just so you know, but we do agree, actually, God doesn't need and it you need. And it's just the way of, 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 of stating it. We often, we often have no idea why, what outcomes are, are really best. Look at Jesus. Getting yourself killed when people are actually looking for a military leader does not sound like success. <laughs> does it? Kind of sounds like a big ugly failure, except it was the greatest success the world has ever known as Jesus walked out in obedience and did what it was that needed to really happen. So now the final paragraph. He says, uh, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. I think Paul was being a bit optimistic here. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying. Yeah. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people, and hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. He's saying, actually, hey, guys, grow up. It'll make me look good. <laughs> Actually, he's not saying it'll make me look good. He's actually saying it'll make me extremely joyful. Um, there he goes. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. You know, when I was preparing this yesterday, you know, I read that passage and I could just see the heart of, of Mark and Wendy, of Chris and Jen, Ken and Di, Paul and Nat, the, the ones who are here for the purpose of, of exhorting us and, and, you know, working us through into maturity and greater maturity and greater maturity because we'll never arrive. But we can be on a great journey together. And uh, let's just be thankful to God that they constantly push us forward, exhorting and equipping us to run the race. So Lord, I ask that we would constantly seek to grow mm, and to do your work as you give us the desire and power to do it. Mm, and to pay attention to our own rough spots. And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to function as a body without comparison. Mm, yeah. And without demanding recognition from others. Thank you, Lord. Grow us into what you want us to be, Lord, in the way you want us, in the way you want to do it, taking the time that you want to take to do it. 
And Lord, we submit ourselves to the process and we run the race with joy. In Jesus' name. Yeah. Amen. Man, that's so good, eh? God, get your word in our hearts, right? I mean, when the word of God is in our hearts, everything begins to shift, right? In this room and outside of this room. So thank you, Jim. You know, I was just thinking as you were sharing, you know, and uh, God brought something to my mind. And I was thinking about a time that I had an individual do something to me that was actually very inappropriate. And so Jim's talked a little bit about, you know, where we've had comparisons or where we're thinking someone's done something. But I even thought a little further where somebody has done something, you know. And the Lord actually began to talk to me about it because in a season when someone actually did some things to me that were very inappropriate, right, my initial reaction in my heart and in my mind was I started chucking stones left and right, right. I was so angry so frustrated, right? And it's almost like I couldn't stop myself, right? It's, it's something that I realized that actually was deep within me, right? And I may not have acted it out, but I sure felt it. And I could feel in my heart just this cursing towards this individual. And I remember driving home that day and asking the Lord saying, you know, why have you put me in this situation? Look what's coming out of me. And I felt this anger, and I heard the Lord say as clear as day, it's always been there. I just needed to find the right situation to bring it to the surface. And then I did something in that moment. I said, Lord, what do I need to do? And here's what he said to me. I want you to pray that you would see them through my eyes. And it was a game changer. And I believe that is pivotal for every single thing, whether we're comparing ourselves to others, whether we're, we're caught in this realm of, I just keep judging people and I don't even know how to stop it. Even if you've been wronged and your heart is going to this place of offense so quickly, I'm gonna ask you to do something. God, let me see them through your eyes. Because this individual who wronged me, and it was wrong, When I saw through the eyes of Jesus, I saw why they were the way they were. I saw where their hearts came from. All of a sudden, I had prayer targets into their lives. And more than that, I saw the love that the Father had for them. And I asked him to put that in my own heart. And I'm telling you, as we go forward as a community, God, give us a love for each other. Let us begin to prefer one another, to look past our our judgments and our struggles with each other. May we not look at our differences and be threatened by that, but may we stand for one another, bless one another. I'm gonna close now and what I felt like would be a good thing to do was, you know, the one scripture that really stood out to me that Jim shared is one of his favorites. Philippians 2.13, and again it says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I felt like that's how we end today. Father God, would you give us the desire 
and the power to do what pleases you. Father, each one of us in this room right now, let that be the cry of your heart. Let that be the thing that is coming out of your mind, even though you're not saying it out loud or even say it out loud. God, begin to do that in me. I want to do what pleases you. So begin to transform my mind, my heart, and everything about me. Because, Father, we know that as you do this, it will go well for me. It will go well for others. It will go well for this church. It will go well for this community. It will go well in our workplaces. It will go well wherever we dwell. So we ask you to do this in Jesus' name. And can we say amen? Amen. Amen.